This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, do loyalty programs actually work in your favor? Tim Silk, Associate Professor at UBC Sauter School of Business, tells us how these programs work and how you can take advantage of them. Hogwarts Legacy, the new Harry Potter game, is surrounded by controversy, but is the game worth it? Blaine Kylo gives us his thoughts on the technological world. And are you okay with forgiveness? How about coffee cups? All of that on the Shift Daily Podcast. I love collecting points. In fact, when I, I, I you, you know I fly a lot. I, I do whatever, most of the time on points. I've literally collected points as part of my plan. Now, most uh, debt people will tell you, don't do points because you spend more money than it actually it works for you. But loyalty programs are incredibly successful on bringing you back as a customer. Plus, aren't they fun sometimes when you can just use your points and get your free pass on your coffee or whatever? Joining me now is Tim Silk. He is with UBC Solder and the School of Business and all of the smart folks over there that do all the uh, smart businessy things. Loyalty programs, Tim is something that you spend an awful lot of time looking at. Um, we're coming to this because Tim Horton's customer is a little choked. They've changed their program. Starbucks has changed their program. I just actually had my MasterCard change its program, not in a loyalty way, but through a loyalty way. I'll explain in a minute. How are you doing? Thanks for being here. And, um, and are you collecting points by joining us today somehow? <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. Uh, I do have some points programs, but I'm not that good at being mindful about collecting them. I mean, what's interesting is you're right. These things can be very powerful and and changing the buyer behavior to try to create loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a big cost structure, you know, for these companies. If you look at airlines, you know, if you fly both WestJet and Air Canada, uh, you're probably just looking at which air carrier is going to get me closer to my next reward. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, you're not really more or less loyal to one or the other. You're just trying to redeem, right? Get your points, get your get your carrot. So um, there are situations where these can be can backfire, where they create a lot of admin costs for the organizations, and they're not actually necessarily changing the buyer behavior. Well, the you speak to that from from this perspective, and and a lot of people don't understand that those points carry a value in the ledger as well. They're kind of like most businesses with vacation days. Have you ever been at work and had your boss say, "Hey, by the way"? There's too many vacation days on the books. You guys need to, you know, time your vacations and we got to get you out of here. Da 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 da. The reason why is on paper, there's a payout value associated yeah. with the accounting of that. And loyalty programs function similarly, not exactly the same way, but they function similarly. So if points aren't being actively used, it can negatively affect the ledger as well for that company. That's right. Yeah, they it's a big accounting issue. And there's also in different jurisdictions, legislation come in that says, you know, are points allowed to expire or not? Um, and that can, in the U.S., that can change state by state. In Canada, I'm not sure if it's federally regulated or not, but mm-hmm. there are definitely consumer protection issues at play. Yeah. Well, the same as gift cards, right? That was another one, too. Was that that was gift cards were eroding value and all these yeah. things that used to happen. That's all changed, uh, too, now. Now, the cost associated with you talk about that. We see an awful lot of these couponers today. They're not really... I would love it for a couponer to come out and say, hey, by the way, this is the cheapest price, cash. We're only talking cash. These couponers, though, are masters at trading these points for this and using this incentive site and blah, 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 make your head spin. It's impossible to follow, but for them, 
it's almost like their full-time job and they yeah. take full advantage of it and they are getting they are taking groceries to the till and actually getting cash in their pocket when they leave taking full advantage of it so I don't I guess I don't understand how busy people are able to keep up Tim when you when you guys study this versus um, the folks that literally live into it all I know is that Tim's customers are pissed and so are Starbucks customers because it's now costing them more to get their stuff yeah one thing that we look at is what we call the opportunity cost of someone's time. And you just nailed it on the head, right? If you've got a lot of time available, uh, then you can be a market maven, they call it, you know, just being really opportunistic and being smart. And that's great. And you deserve to take advantage of, the, of those offers. But for uh, most consumers, they just don't have that time. The search costs are high, um, travel costs. Um, there's a lot of factors at play. So yeah, it's, you know, I can relate as many can that, you know, you go through life changes as you get older and you've got more on your plate and it's just, it's tough to do. So uh, there's some great deals out there, but not everyone has full information. Before we talk about how consumers use it, let's, can we talk about the business a little bit? Cause you know this better than me. Cause sure. there's some assumptions that I have. So when a business sells a gift card, they have to basically put that money in trust, right? They can't just go, you know, take that cash and spend that cash. That, that cash has to be available. Um, and, but they can make money on your money. And I believe the last number, um, I did a charity program that I created for my business that was around gift cards. So I've done a little bit of work around gift cards that it's a basically a billion dollars a year of unspent money, right? Yeah. But the businesses, they can make money on the money. They just need to make sure the money is there. So there is a really good incentive in some aspects of this to be able to keep people not spending it restaurants is a great example. You get a gift card for a restaurant. People usually overspend that. Would loyalty programs sort of be of that same ilk that when you have $50 in loyalty points, you tend to overspend because you're like, well, it only cost me 20 bucks extra. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a real incentive that plays into the psychology of the consumer. Yeah. So we, we group all that under what we call a windfall. When you're spending a windfall, you're spending it differently than your own money. And you can very much see that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, it goes back to, you might have some people that are opportunistic and saying, look, this is free money. Uh, I could splurge and get something that I normally wouldn't get because now that's free or a portion of it's free, or I can just be really careful and just use that reward for, for what it's worth and nothing more. So there's a lot of, you know, variance around that, but, um, the companies are certainly hoping that this reward brings you in and that one, that's an additional, um, purchase that you otherwise wouldn't make. And if a portion of that is above what we thought you'd spend, then that's all bonus. Um, but again, you have to look at like the, the basics of reward programs when you build one from the beginning is we tell companies, you know, identify the behavior that you want to reward. And a lot of companies are just copycatting competitors and they're not necessarily thinking about like, what is it precisely that we want to reward? And with Tim Horton switching from, um, transactions to actually the amount spent is a great example. And many companies have moved in this direction where they're like, we're not, we're making, we're not making a distinction between someone that comes five days a week and spends $2 to someone that comes five days a week and spends $10 per trip. And why are we not rewarding? Like, we're not here to just reward that the fact you came in today, we want to reward, you know, profit driving behavior. And if you look at a program like the loyalty program like of Air Miles is a really well-designed program because the reason why they're giving you triple points in that pizza is because that's a high margin, high profit item. They're not putting bonus points on things that don't drive profitability. It's not just revenue. It's the profit margin of the product. 
Mm-hmm. And so you got a government organization like Best Buy that I did some work with years ago. And the problem is, is they don't actually make a lot of profit on a television, even though it's a big ticket purchase. Mm-hmm. But the profit margins on compact discs, DVDs, and video games are huge, even though those are low ticket items. And here we are rewarding someone with $50 free for buying a big TV that we didn't make any money on. And they're coming in and using that free 50 bucks to buy a couple DVDs, which would have been high margin purchases. That actually shoots them in the foot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they end up moving away from that program over time. Um, but, you know, you got to be really thoughtful about what is it that you're trying to reward. And I would argue that these programs were not really well designed to begin with. And those organizations are then moving them to something that makes more sense for them. But unfortunately, that's bad for consumers. It's worse right. off. Consumers. Worse off. Yeah. I mean, it helps. But does it help you the way you need to be helped? I think that's the one look we need to take is that it's great to have rewards programs. But if you don't fly anywhere and you don't care to fly anywhere, yeah. then maybe you don't need that rewards program, right? Like maybe you need to look at something different. We've seen this now with Air Miles and with Scene. Yeah. I mean, that's been a big shift. So one thing that's kind of interesting that was studied in our field was whether or not the reward was considered to be congruent with the behavior. In other words, imagine that you're at a coffee shop and you're going to buy coffees anyway, and your reward is a free coffee. That reward is congruent with what you're going to buy anyway. But if they're going to give you a muffin as a reward, the consumers are like, why am I buying all these coffees to get a muffin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so that's actually something that you think if, if the reward program is changing your spending to the extent that it's not what you'd naturally do, then it's a manipulation at that point. Um, and as opposed to just a reward. So, uh, you know, if you're saying like, now I have to spend more in order to get these points, well, I guess that's what I want you to do, but it doesn't mean you have to increase your coffee consumption. You're just going to get rewarded less often, right? So what, 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 uh, hoops are you jumping through and are you being dog trained or are you a consumer? Yeah. Oh, isn't that the truth? So, okay. Simplicity though, seems to work. We saw, you know, Tim Hortons roll up the rim active, engaging, everything else. Nobody talks about it anymore. My observation is total backfire because nobody talks about it anymore. Everyone used to always talk about it when they had the cups. Now it's through the app. Then the app, the privacy, the other things that they've gone through with Tim Hortons. Um, By the way, we've gone through all this with privacy issues and you get a free coffee and a donut out of it. That was off-putting just based on anecdotes. And then further to that, you know, you take these... Uh, say McDonald's, for example, even McDonald's used to just do the stickers and the cups. And now you've got to use the app. You've got to declare the app before you get into the thing and you got to have your location services on or else you can't use the app. So now again, there's more access to info when really, oh, I really enjoyed just taking the sticker off the cup and putting it on the damn card. Yeah. There is utility in that like tactile experience. Think of yourself if you've ever been to a casino, right? Do you want to tap a screen or do you want to pull that lever? Yeah. You know? lever, and right? so <laughs> play the cards. Um, yeah. So we, we talk about like the transparency of the reward, the transparency of payment. If you look at payment formats, I mean, when the cash is leaving our hand, there is what we call a pain of paying. And when you're just tapping a debit card or it's going through your you know phone account, it's just not the same as seeing the cash leave your, your wallet or leave your pocket. And so these are all examples like, you know, as, as, as animals, as people, you know, we, we, we grow up in a very tactile environment. When you move everything into a two dimensional, you know, space, like a click screen or whatever, it does change it. I mean, the roll up to win program was incredibly successful. And that element of chance, that element of, I don't know if I'm a winner or not, and I don't know what the prize will be. That was a huge, huge driver of the excitement. Now that hasn't changed by putting it on the phone, but yet it did affect somehow the spontaneity and the and the perceived value of that reward. 
right? Mm. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but it certainly is is a difference. And n- now what they've done is, you know, what Starbucks and others are doing is what we just call a fixed ratio reward program. You buy X number of of coffees, we give you a reward. There's a whole other class of rewards out there that we call variable ratio that are not used in industry much. That come from animal uh, behavior research. This is like you know you have these rats and pigeons, you know, hitting a uh, a bar to get a sugar pellet or to get some to water. And when you vary the reward, it's essentially what you're doing in casino. Is like I don't know if this tap of the bar is going to get me uh, what I want. And you end up with a hyper accelerated buyer behavior because you just that that reward could be around the corner. And we refer to that as the psychological distance to reward, mm-hmm. even though I know it's kind of a random outcome. It could still be around the corner. And because it could be around the corner, that motivates me. So what's really interesting is we do it, rats do it, pigeons do it, kind of the comment on humanity right there. <laughs> but but as you get as you get closer to that reward, as you think you're getting close to the reward, these mice would accelerate in this little channel ramp as they got closer to the cheese, you know, as they got closer mm. to the food. It's like really, it shouldn't matter how close it is. You should just be striving to get there equally. But you know, I, I ran be- behavioral experiments over 10 years ago here at UBC where I was manipulating uh, whether or not that that reward was on a fixed ratio of like 10 coffees in a reward or it could happen at any point. And we got way hyper-stimulated purchase. People bought more coffees more frequently when they didn't know exactly when the reward is coming. Yeah. But a lot of firms don't like to use that system because it's, it's, it's not predictable. It's hard for them to account for. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems like, you know, harder to administer. Well, like you said about comment on humanity, complacency is also a comment on humanity. And when when it's the same old, same old, we, by nature, kind of get complacent with it. Is it possible that you missed your calling here, by the way, Tim? I mean, here you are doing, you know, you're doing behavior marketing and all these things, you know, around business, but really psychology is really what it that kind of keeps coming down to. I guess maybe it's a, a call and a, a cause and effect scenario. You've got a, a call and echo happening, but really you've yeah. got such a play on psychology in this conversation it's so reactionary um yeah that's what comes first the chicken or the egg right (laughs) yeah yeah and so that's the thing i mean i i worked in in business um and was more interested in buyer behavior than trying to be a marketer and that's why i became a professor i went and did my phd and that's what marketing is a a field we we are economists psychologists sociologists anthropologists we we are behavioralists and it's it's how you apply um, psychology to understanding, you know, buyer behavior. And I'm very much uh, a consumer advocate. You know, I try to, we are not great decision makers. You know, we, no. we're very intelligent, domesticated animals, but but we, our defaults um, yeah. are not great. <laughs> so I have, I have a, so this is great. I'm going to get selfish now because this is, I make this all about me. Um, the, so here's what happens for me is I get, I mean, I've worked in radio. What is, what is radio done forever? Is it, you know, delivers information, also markets things and ideas. Um, and I love that. I love being able to inspire people with ideas and everything else, but there's a level of marketing where we just understand humans so much more today that, you know, it can be used for good. It can be used for evil. And it's really amazing when you say to somebody, Hey, by the way, I have an idea on how you can be more efficient in how you get around the city, whether it's this kind of car, that kind of car, transit, bus, bike, whatever. And someone goes, yes, that's me. I love that. But then there's another point where we manipulate and we take advantage and we use all those same tactics and tools for evil. And so part of me, Tim, wants to just teach people how to unmarket their lives yeah. at the same time, but somehow have sort of, 
you've still got to market how you're going to unmarket it. And here we yeah. go in the, in the whirlpool. Yeah. I am not a fan of marketing. I'm just curious about it. And I, I mean, I teach a course in brand management. And the first thing I say in the course is never let brands influence your purchase behavior. At the end of the day, just like compare the products and the services based upon the merit and the importance to you and make a decision independent of that. But brands help us make decisions. They help us make a shortcut. They help simplify. Um, psychologists refer to people as cognitive misers. We have the capacity for immense thought, but we are very miserly. We're very, very economical in terms of how we um, spend our time and energy. And we uh... would always like to kind of um, take the easy route. And I don't want to say dumb it down, but here's the example I give. Have you ever gotten to work or school or wherever you're going one day? And let's say that you drove and you're like, I actually don't consciously remember driving here. Yeah, how did absolutely. I get to work? Yeah. How did I get to work and not kill anyone? Yeah, or you miss your turn and you're like, how did I even and, miss the turn? I didn't see it go by. Yeah. It just shows you like, you know, we evolved, you know, as, as hunter gatherers and we had to be thinking uh, several things at once, you know, like we're tracking this animal and we're also thinking about like, did that mushroom I ate last night? Is that going to kill me? Uh, who is trying to muscle in on my uh, cave spouse? Uh, you know, like you have to be thinking about multiple things at once. And so we have great capacity for that. Um, so we can be on autopilot a lot of the time. And when something's scripted and habitual, like driving to work or driving to school, uh, you don't really need a lot of cognitive resources to manage that well. Now, if a rabbit or a deer jumped out in front of your car, you're like, that's out of the norm. You suddenly erect your cognitive defenses and you're paying massive amounts of attention now. But we can do a, a mental uh, amount of things on autopilot and, uh, you know, going in and buying that coffee and putting that reward stamp on there as an example of that you may not even think about like what right. did i just do there right so well do i even love that that particular coffee yeah. flavor um yeah which is another thing you're much nicer than me you say miser i say lazy so i think you i think you're much nicer <laughs> the way you say it than what i do is because we are so lazy it's inconvenient we people say that they're uh, critical thinkers and cognitive awareness thinkers i i say they're convenient thinkers and i think yeah. that the in the social world today that it's gone from this, I'm a critical thinker. Nope, you're not. You're actually a convenient thinker. You think until you get something that's convenient, you stick with it, and now you don't have to think anymore. Um, I mean, go ahead and I'll share your thought, please. If you thought about every step you took, you'd be exhausted by nine in the morning. Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So it can't all be conscious deliver of thought. Um, but last point I'll say is there's unrelated to the reward stuff, but interesting research on what they call a satisficing versus maximizing mindset. This idea is like, are you trying to get the best or are you just taking what's acceptable? Right. And people vary on that by context, right? And what the interesting thing was, the people that are maximizers end up actually less satisfied because they're judging by such a high standard. They're really never happy. So yeah. key to happiness low expectations. <laughs> it's true. Isn't it the case? Oh God, thank goodness too. Cause some of my friends, they have low expectations of me and I always yeah. uh, deliver lifestyle as a social influence is very scary. One last question here, Tim. So you study uh, loyalty programs in general. We've seen this with Tim's. We've seen this with, um, with Starbucks. What I just saw with my credit card about flying is that I get free internet on planes with my credit card. It's one of the benefits for me that I like. I just log in and I get my free internet. Um, now they've changed it to a limited number of sessions and a maximum time per session. So on one end of it, you've got airlines that are saying, we're going to give you free internet. And then you got now this other one that pay a premium for, and now I have limitations on it. Can these programs, is it just written in the fine print that, hey, by the way, you've invested all this time, you're saving up for that trip to Hawaii, 
unless we decide that your points are now worth less and you can't go to Hawaii. Because um, to me, it would seem like the points you earned up to this day are worth value X. And okay, we're going to make a change. Now your old points, are our new points are worth Y. But it seems like they just do full coverage swap and flips. Can they do that? Or is this a, a state by state, province by province again combo? So great question. I actually don't know the legal answer to that. Um, and it, it would probably vary by jurisdiction. I mean, I'm Canadian and I've I've been here most of my life, but I was in the States for about seven years. Um, so I'm sorry, I don't know. But I would say that from a consumer protection standpoint, that's a raw deal. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, I guess they have the option that they can change the rules of the game. But if I've already passed go, I still want my 200 bucks. Right. right? So um, good question. And I think that's why we have a competition bureau. <laughs> Great. Well, and you know what? That's Maybe that's why we have another topic to continue this conversation on as uh, things continue to unfold, Tim. This has been uh, really insightful for me. It's a great conversation for everybody to hear. The, can you say the part again uh, where you talked about, you know, choose choose for yourself. Does it work for you? And um, and stick to what you need. Don't get caught up in it. I you, you said it much more eloquently than I do. Where does that land for you? About you know, if you're going to use loyalty programs, use what works for you. Yeah, don't jump through the hoop because they're showing you the hoop. Jump through the hoop because you want to go through it, right? Yeah. Um, and whether it be a rebate, a loyalty program, a brand, like at the end of the day, take the time. You know, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Um, try to make careful decisions when it matters. Um, and you know, brands are man-made objects. They're not part of the natural world mm -hmm. and people are having relationships with these man-made brands. Right? So this is like yeah. at the end of the day, um, because my mom and dad got divorced and they told me I'm not a good kid. I got to go buy a Louis Vuitton bag to fill that hole, you know, and Absolutely. guess what? It's not going to get filled. No, <laughs> so but, just if because you buy I have... but if you buy the shoes too. Well, just because I have low self-esteem. Right. That's true. Make you feel better. Oh, man, this is such a big conversation. I love this. Tim, thanks so much for being here uh, with me and, and getting into this. I would like to have more of this if I can steal more of your time down the road. Yeah, thank you very much. It's great to be on. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. It is a technological world, and Blaine Kylo is the cool dad, although your proximity of bestness keeps changing. I mean, you've kind of gone from the best of Vancouver to the best of BC and now the best dad in Canada, so congratulations. You're a winner. Yeah, the world's my limit. It is really your limit. Okay, uh, Blaine Kylo is on the West Coast. He does gadgets, gaming, and so much more. Solocore.com. If you want to follow along, we post his stuff up at shiftheads.ca, by the way. We were chatting about loyalty programs. Since you are, you know, like the active dad, you do the skiing things. You're like the, the coach stats guy for the ball teams. Like you do all the things. Loyalty programs can save us a bunch of money. The question is, what is your go-to loyalty program? Do you have a go-to? How do they work for you? I, I like the loyalty programs that give you the best bang for your buck. And so... I tend to use the grocery store ones more than anything else because that's where I'm spending 
most of my money these days mm. with mm -hmm. teenage kids that are growing. Um, but I've also noticed sort of diminishing returns in some of the things I know with a lot of yeah. the air miles programs, I've been including those in a lot of my planning over the years. And I think I've decided that because of the limitations with most of the air miles type programs, you're almost better off just to buy your own tickets. Yeah. Well, cause you can't fly on the flights you want to fly on. Then you got to pay the taxes anyway. You spend an awful lot of points, not really get a big whole lot of discount, right? Yeah, but it, I, I guess the the throwback is it's better than nothing, and so it's mm. something for what you're paying for anyway. Um, but I think the biggest kickback I'm getting these days is actually Costco. You, you spend the money and you get a kickback from Costco. It's just a direct check into your hands that they know you're going to spend at Costco again. Yeah, it's a Costco check to go spend at Costco again. Uh, it works exactly. really well. Um, yeah, no, I would agree. That's probably one of the best ones for me. Although I do have a travel one. My World Elite card is um, it literally I buy a trip. I can buy a trip anywhere, anytime, any flight, any class. I could buy the cheapest of the cheap tickets. I could buy a fancy, fancy ticket. And after I run it through that credit card, I just go into my statement. I click on it and I submit it. And then they just dump that cash back in my account full rebate. So that one works well. I like that one because then you, there's nothing out of your pocket. So that one seems to work. Okay. Calgary Co-op, uh, not to, you know, talk about Calgary too much, but Calgary Co-op here, um, they do the same similar thing to Costco because it's a co-op. So you get your dividend check back, right? Like you see that with some, like, some of the other mountain equipment co-ops and some of the other stores that are like that in structure. Yeah. That's I grew up in right. Alberta. I know the co-op. Hey, everyone on the prairies knows co-op is somewhere. Okay, um, there you go. What is your go-to loyalty card? 877-399-9898. Um, more rewards, the best deals at Save On. My Visa gives a set dollar amount, whatever I spend. That's from Rick. There you go. What is your go-to loyalty program? All right. Um, why we are here is the gadgets and the gaming with Blaine Kylo. Where are you taking us today, brother? Well, I think we need to talk about Hogwarts Legacy. Um, which is an interesting game to talk about these days because it is the sort of premier video game that's set in the Harry Potter world. Um, and it's an action-adventure game developed by Avalanche, which is a Warner Brothers game studio. And it is a pretty solid open-world game where you're running around the world of Hogwarts and Hogsmeade and all of those places that we've come to know because of the Harry Potter books and movies. Um, and it's a very serviceable exploration game set in the 1800s. So we're, you know, decades before Harry Potter and his cronies. And when you're playing this game, there's going to be lots that's familiar. The castle is much like it was represented in the films. There are characters with names like Weasley and Black, which are names that will be familiar to people who are familiar with the books and the films. So it's really building on the, the full environment and the full history and the full lore that's been created by the author of the books. Um, and I'm quite intentionally not going to name this person because this is the challenge with talking about Hogwarts legacy is the author of the Harry Potter books has proven to be 
um, have some pretty dangerous ideas about transgendered people and um, is, is quite anti-trans to the degree to which um, she's actually causing harm to people because of some of these beliefs and and the way she quite actively promotes those beliefs in, in media. And so there's a real reaction against Hogwarts legacy. There are lots of people who are protesting the game because of the beliefs of the creator of the world. And it's caused a, a real interesting challenge for journalists and critics who are out there trying to cover the game because the question is, how can you cover a game that is ultimately supporting uh, a, a creator who has some pretty toxic beliefs and toxic ideas? Well, and shares them quite publicly, too. Now, here's the catch, though, is that in this new game, there is a trans character. And so that creates an awful lot more confusion as well, because the creators, the actual creators of the game, aren't necessarily the person who wrote the books. No, and they've been quite clear, actually. Avalanche and Warner Brothers have been quite clear that the creator of the books and, and the source of all of this had nothing to do with the creation of this game. Um, they were not involved in anything that was going on here. Um, and the developers of Aval at Avalanche, as you said, went out of their way to try and make this game a little more accessible, make this game appeal to a broader audience, including people who are transgendered. So there is a transgendered character. You have control over customizing your character here. So you can choose gender, you can choose name, you can choose skin color and all the kinds of character creator things that we've come to expect from open world role-playing games and so you've got this really interesting game that puts you into a world um, where you have control and you can express yourself in any way you want and it's coming out of ultimately the the mind of someone who refuses to grant that same flexibility um, and choice to people in the real world it's it's a it's a real quandary but I've got to say this, and, and I've said this about open world games before. There, This is a game where you can lose lots of time, 50, 60 hours of game time to be played here. So there are lots of open world game choices out there. What you need to do as a gamer is to find a world that you want to be in. And despite the beliefs of the creator of Harry Potter, there are scores of people in the world who want to be in the Harry Potter world. I was at Harry Potter universe at Universal Studios over Christmas because my mom and my daughter love Harry Potter. And it was an environment that we needed to explore and to celebrate. And I couldn't take that away from them. And there are gonna be people who are really into Harry Potter and we cannot take that away from them. But what we can do is say, Educate yourself so that you're making an informed decision if this is a world that you want to go into. Yeah. The yeah, other thing right for you, right? That's the catch. And the other thing that's really interesting, and, and this is something that I hope for my daughter who, you know, really loves these books and loves these films and loves this world, is when you look at the books themselves, actually, from a more critical perspective, you start to see these things that maybe you didn't realize at first, like the game 
uh, the, the story that's being played in Hogwarts Legacy is kind of centers around a goblin conspiracy. And some really interesting thought and thinking has been done into the role of goblins in the Harry Potter world and how they are based on anti-Semitic tropes. So they're kind of loose allegories for Jewish people. And when you start looking at the world of Harry Potter with some of these notions and some of these criticisms, you start to realize that maybe this world that was created wasn't so great and pure after all. And there are actual grounds for criticism, both about how gay and lesbian characters were treated within the, the books and the films and in how some of these um, characters and these creatures who are in the world but maybe are based on some toxic ideas about real people in the real world. And so what I hope for my daughter is as she gets older and as she develops a little more of a critical eye, that she'll be able to come back to these books and maybe start seeing some of the things that don't work as well, might be a bit problematic. It doesn't mean that you can't have appreciated them at some point. It doesn't mean that you can't change your mind and decide that maybe they're not as important or as successful or as or as worthy of celebration as maybe we once thought. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's such a crossroads, right? And uh, it is important. I like what you said when you said you know just educate yourself and make the decision for yourself um, for what it is, and it does create this crossroads of you know is is the the writer or the creator the same thing as the game but then the profits do go to that place and that's worth considering and the one thing that is um that i think that really is the takeaway here is all things we should be critical uh with thinkers and, I, and i'm very careful to not uh, allow people to uh, convenient thinking but critical thinking and and look at these things at all but at the same time i still think the stand we should take is that do we need these kinds of politics going on in front of our children? And as a dad, I really, um, I really struggle with people playing out these, some of these, all of these notions in front of young people that, um, don't quite understand them yet, too. And that, that gets, that gets tough. And that's what some of these games are doing. Good, bad, both sides of it. And, and I'm not sure that they should all be there. You know, I kind of, I kind of miss checkers, you know? Check. <laughs> Oh, there are problems with checkers too, if you look deep enough. Now, That's true. listen, I've got to say, if nothing else, what the developers of Av at Avalanche have done with Hogwarts Legacy is they have created a very convincing world. If you like the Harry Potter world, you will feel like you're in the Harry Potter world while playing this game. It is very convincing. It is appealing so if it's a, an environment that you want to be in and it's an environment that you like to be in, um, it's, it's worth checking out. There we go. Blaine Kylo, solocore.com. It is a technical world with some gaming and some deep insight tonight. Thank you, brother. Of course. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with forgiveness? Oh. As an Irish Catholic, that's basically <laughs> the only thing that we search for in life is forgiveness for guilt that is placed onto us 
all oh, the, time. the shame and guilt is just like it it's it's like we have to it's woven into it it just like pours like it's on your hands when you leave yeah yeah that's uh they really want you to go to church when you're an irish catholic which is funny because you only go at christmas and easter uh anyway oh and you don't read um, the bible you only read the bulletin exactly the, the bulletin <laughs> i think yeah forgiveness i feel like is something that you really learn with age like i used to really hold on to stuff when i was younger but as mm -hmm. i've gotten older really learn to let little things go and be better about letting bigger things go with also you know standing up for yourself it takes, i feel like it takes a lot of work to figure out how to do it right for other people but also for yourself you know i'm really not okay with forgiveness oh it's a bold statement yeah i'm really not okay um well because i don't think it's up to me to judge anybody i really don't I, I'm I'm a bigger fan of empathy and understanding. I'm a bigger fan of learning um, things. And I, I just don't think forgiveness is something that um, is really up to me. Now, I, that's easier said than done when you're talking about real, really traumatic things, right? Like if somebody crashes into you when you're in a crosswalk, can you forgive that person for what they did? That becomes in my notion of empathy becomes really difficult when you're talking about somebody being careless or reckless and they show no remorse and all those things. So I understand that it's a complicated notion that I'm sort of putting out there, but I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm like getting clarity on it and moving on. I guess I was given this. Let me say this not to get like way hippie on this, but I was giving this notion once. Of all the things you've been through, the ugliest of all the things in life, knowing where you are today. So, okay, like you show up for life today and in front of you is a list of all of the ugliest things you need to go through. Would you sign up and say yes, if you knew this is the place you could be in? So you knew what it took to get here. And that's, that's why I get tangled up a little bit on forgiveness because... I wouldn't be here if some of those ugly things had never happened. So, and I'm grateful for where I am today. So regardless of you being reckless and not caring or showing any remorse, I would say that it, what, who am I to forgive anything if here's where we are? So that's my, my deep, you know, um, guru answer to your, to your question about forgiveness. So, hey, hey, there. Well, I feel like I like want to unroll a yoga mat and just like sit with my legs crossed and just crossed listen, and float, you know? right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I can tell you, I forgive you for asking. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just because I know your Irish killing killed kicks in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. That's not, I won't be able to sleep if I don't. <laughs> oh, I already made you an egg salad sandwich. You're good. Don't worry about it. Oh, thank um, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> it is not easy to forgive and forget. And the things I speak of, you know, maybe that is the way to go. I don't know. You get to choose. The reality is, is that forgiveness really can sort of set you free. But one couple, I, the United States, have proved that you really can forgive even the most insane of the crimes. And you could tell Ryan wrote that because I don't say insane. This year, Tony and his wife, Francis, Francis will celebrate 57 years of marriage, despite the fact that the wife hired a hitman to kill her husband. Wow. Uh, back in 1983, Tony and Francis had four kids and ran a pizza shop together. 
Starting to sound more like a movie. Tony strayed from the marriage. Well, you know, he was a hot pizza guy. Francis found out, and she was not happy. Not one bit. Francis did hire teenage hitmen to help her try to kill Tony five times, including failed attempts to blow up his car and attack him with a baseball bat. One night, Francis put a bottle of sleeping pills in Tony's food, and then the hitmen shot him. Twice, one in the back of my head, the one and the bullet went right through the chest. And the one in his head is still there. I don't think I was thinking straight. It was like a love-hate kind of a thing. Because of the pills, Tony's system slowed down. He was in a daze and says he didn't feel a thing, believing Francis when she told him he had the flu. After five days, police found out about the plot and arrested Francis and the teenage hitman. Tony spent 12 days in the hospital. The first thing he did when he was discharged was bail out Francis. And then we both cry and uh, we said, to each other, you know, for now one, let's talk, let's talk, let's communicate better. Something that we should have done before. So that's what was missing. Tony and Francis say that tearful moment was a new beginning for their relationship. And to help them stay on track, they got counseling. Can I forgive her? Yes, nothing happened to me. Yes, that's okay. Don't do it again, friend. Yeah, take it easy, yeah? No. <laughs> <laughs> He knows that he does check in with her and say it's not going to happen again, right? There's uh, I didn't include it in the just for time, but there's a point in that interview where he goes, I didn't like this promo picture because you were holding the gun, and I don't like it when you hold a gun towards me. And she just kind of goes, ha, 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 ha. And you're like, holy wow. <laughs> okay, uh, I did not have attempted murder five times, um, and shooting in the head for cheating. Um, yeah. on my bingo card here. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That was from Lehigh Valley times, by the way, Francis ended up spending four years in prison. <laughs> who forgives who in this scenario? Like what we're talking about <laughs> forgiveness, Yeah. right? Like, do That's you forgive so Tony for, you know, straying? And then Francis goes to jail for four years. Is there like is it an implied agreement that Tony stays faithful through the four years, or does he go like because she's like oh yeah I'll show you murder, and he's like <laughs> oh yeah I'll show you four years of freedom, like I don't know, um it's a lot. <laughs> when, that's when I a found lot. This story when I found the story and I I saw the headline and went wait what and I kept listening and I just like. It's just, I feel like I need counseling after hearing and, your story. Right? And just try to imagine, like, I can remember when my mom was telling me, Ryan, you need to break up with your girlfriend. She's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And then you drag your feet. How does this conversation go with the family? Mom, I've decided I'm going to stay with Francis. She tried to have you murdered five times. Yeah. I know yeah. it's still, it's worth it. You know, like there is yeah. some. No, she's very... changed, mom. She <laughs> changed from being a murderer. Right. Although um, infidelity is not cool. And so, no. you know, I don't know if it's murder worthy, though. You know, Nothing's I think you pretty much I think you take the couch you want from the house and you move along. You get the good dishes, you know, mm -hmm. in the fire sale. All right. Um, the film based on their story, I Love You to Death, hit theaters in 1990. It was a big hit. <gasps> hit. <laughs> 
It's pretty good fun. Well done. The couple wanted to share their story now as an extreme example of the importance of communication in a marriage. I don't know. I don't think communication is it. I think it was the desire to murder. Uh, Yeah. The the weird thing, though, is that they've been married for like almost 50 years. They're still together. And and. it's impossible to tell what's happening behind closed doors, but like they figured it out even after, <laughs> sorry, did I they tried though, to kill you. I don't know. Did it's they though? Really Cause he's like, tell. he really was checking in to make sure she wasn't going to do it again. Like, you know, today when someone leaves you on red and they don't send you a text message in today's mm-hmm. world, you get a little worried in this relationship. You're checking behind the closet door. Just in case. I don't know if I could ever like sleep <laughs> like in the same bed. I don't know. That's weird. Everything about that's weird. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can we just, for the sake of it, just break up and minimal murder. Murder is not a solution. No. Um, I mean, if, if you, if you read the bulletin, and had an egg salad sandwich, you probably would have been all right. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. <laughs> Remember that time, honey, when you <laughs> shot me in the head? Like, come on. Are you okay? There's not an are you okay that's going to top that. Let's just I lower know. your standards. Now. I know. <laughs> it's like one of the contenders for my favorite of all time, dude. <laughs> are you okay with? Coffee cups. Oh, now I'm going to rant. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to rant. Go, um, okay, so here's the thing with coffee cups. Aside from, like, not mugs. We're talking, like, disposable ones. There are good coffee cups and there are bad ones. The good ones are the ones that have the extra layer of thin cardboard around the actual, like, where the cup is. So you don't need a sleeve. So they're never, never too, too hot. Those are the best coffee cups. And you'll always find those at your like local coffee shop. Like that's where you'll find them. That's a McDonald's coffee cup too. You're talking about just saying. Oh, that's right. Yeah. McDonald's does that too. Yeah. 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 Extra layer. Right. That's coming from the millennial who's all eco. Listen to that. eh? add it's more cardboard. paper. It's don't burn plastic. my hand. It's, it's cardboard. Right. I don't, I don't, yeah. But I it's don't. wax. It can't be reused. <laughs> it's it's wax. They can't I recycle tune it. Out, I know. I tune out a lot of stuff when I drink coffee. I don't know. Like it's just. I need my bean water. I need it. So right. whatever, how it is delivered to me, it's fine. All right. Uh, coffee cups, they make me mad because we can't have straws, but we can have more plastic in our sippy cup lids like we're all four years old, and then we smile and we feel good about it while we throw away our wax-covered paper cup that can't be recycled into the garbage bin, and we're like, yay, we're eco because we saved a turtle today. Thank you. Last year, the city of Vancouver enacted a fee on cups that garnered national attention so much so that when I was going to McDonald's, my son was so mad that it was going to be 50 cents for cups. We went to the gas station next door and bought bottles of Gatorade and then did not buy the combo at McDonald's so we could save 50 cents. The 25 cent fee came into effect January of 2022 with the goal of getting more people to choose reusable cups and reduce waste. That really hasn't happened though, but all those business owners got to keep the money. And now the city is about to vote on a repeal of this whole ban and fee thing. 
Councilor Rebecca Bly tried to kill the fee last year, but her motion failed. Now she has a new one in front of a new council dominated by her own ABC party. Bly says the fee has done little to move consumers away from using single-use cups, while at the same time hurting low-income residents. So I think we can educate people, we can talk about the 82 million units of single-use waste that go into the landfill. Um, we can work with businesses to enable and support them in communicating um, that narrative. Um, the tax, the top-down fee just has people feel quite resigned. And critics say there are major flaws. The fee puts 25 cents per cup right back into business coffers. They are encouraged but not required to use the cash to adopt a cup share program. Cup share programs. I mean, I, washing cups and all those things is probably pretty all right. That was Global's Emily Lazitan, by the way. Ian Tostin, NBC Restaurant and Food Service Association's president and CEO, told Global that while minimizing the footprint on the environment and climate is important, the fee was not the right way to do it. <gasps> You're telling me that we're starting to realize that taxing our way to having people care makes people not care? City Council voted on that bill last night, and the verdict, a strong majority voted for the motion to remove the 25-cent fee. Shocker, the fee will be abolished by June 1st because it takes two months to say, stop charging 25 cents now. Yeah, it makes more it, Look, it makes sense to, like, it, gradually, like, you're going to have to start paying this, but why do you have to wait to turn it, turn it off, like... Maybe maybe the debit machines need to be calibrated to remove it, but I feel like that would take like a week at the most, two months. That's, that's I hate to break it to you, red tape but with today's really... technology, McDonald's can pretty much just go into the menu and go delete. Yeah, yeah it's right? probably just you know a little bit of extra money there. That's... A little extra money for the businesses. I'm all yeah. for money for the businesses. Filthy capitalist here, but come on now. This is the... Oh, boy. See? What are you Angry making me mad? Angry. Ugh. Look, we had, like, the plastic bag one last night. And oh, we got I know. the cup one tonight. It's, uh, I just, you know. Revved up and ready to go. <laughs> it just, it's the, can we just stop the stupid, st stupid thinking BS crap that doesn't solve the problems that we've all agreed we don't like the problems, and yet we go about our lives caring. I'll still stand by this statement. You show me when we stop putting pretty LED lights on the outside of skyscrapers. When we stop doing that on every new building, that's when we actually care about the environment because it uses electricity, takes its precious minerals and plastics to do it. Just saying. Okay. <sighs> we have time for another one, right? Oh, I promise we do Cobra Chicken, so we got to do this one. Are you okay with... Canada Gooses. Canada Goose. Oh, not Cobra Chickens, but the not jackets. Not Cobra Chickens, the Damn jackets. It. I'm sorry. Hey, they are oh. really nice jackets, though. Like They are you know they're, very expensive jackets. You know they're good when, like, Top Gear, when, when Jeremy Clarkson and the guys were still doing Top Gear, whenever they had to go into the Arctic or somewhere very cold, they would always wear a Canada Goose jacket, and that's how I knew. It was a good jacket. Unfortunately, I then dis discovered that they're a cool $1,500 for a jacket. And uh, even me, in my stupid spending habits, my ridiculous obsession with sneakers, fashion, and Lego, even I 
will not spend $1,500 on a jacket. Okay. Um, Coming up here on the shift where there's a statement from Tim Silk where he says, you know, don't buy the brand, buy what you need. Don't get sucked into buying the brand. This is the part of the shift where I tell Ryan about the notion of product placement and sponsorships and TV shows that it's possible Canada Goose just paid to be on the show. Yes, but also there's like the straight Canadian bribe. You're like, yeah, it's my jacket. That's my country's jacket right there on the TV. Yeah, but they're not even made in Canada. Uh, Their headquarters is in Canada. That goes for something these days. Yes, absolutely it does. It makes you feel better. I think so. See the earlier conversation about cups and plastics. Uh, okay. Anyway, they are good. Ca- they are nice coats. They're good looking coats. They're fuzzy. They're warm and they're filled with, uh, geese gizzards or something. Um, despite their high cost, Canada goose fur trimmed parkas fur have uh, become almost somebody killed a seal. That is not true, but it makes this impactful. And that's what marketing around these things sounds like. Uh, almost the uniform of the inner city 16 to 24 year olds in Canada. <laughs> what does this world become? According to one president of a marketing research firm, their high value is now making them a prime target for thieves in an unexpected place. Police have issued a warning after a string of armed robberies targeted people wearing Canada goose winter jackets in Washington, DC. According to the BBC, there were at least seven reported robberies of people wearing popular luxury coats between December and February in definitely not a cold place. Canada goose coats that sell for around $1,500 appear to be the target for thieves in Washington, D.C. At least five robberies have happened within 13 days of each other. The latest known robbery happened on February 5th at 1.30 in the afternoon on the 1800 block of T Street Northwest. This is where two people were held at gunpoint for their coats. The police report saying one robber approached a victim and began to count down from five while pointing a gun in his face. That's when the male victim handed over his coat. Police released this video of the vehicle and people of interest. Wow. Um... ABC7 right there with a report. Thieves have previously targeted Canada Goose wearers in other cities, notably Chicago, where it is cold, uh, where six incidents of winter coats being robbed at gunpoint were reported in just over a week in 2019. Metropolitan Police Department in D.C. currently offers a reward of up to $10,000 to anyone who provides information that leads to the arrest and conviction of a person responsible for a violent crime committed in the District of Columbia. Um, and that $10,000 it's probably more worthwhile to just sell the coats than take the 10 grand. Just saying. Uh, they're very nice coats, though, aren't they? they oh, are. They're so nice. They're so heavy. The, good, the down is so nice. Like the, You don't feel the wind. It's excellent. But I will say, you can also get a really nice coat from North Face that's like 300 compared to 1500 that is also very warm. All right. Uh, now, I had read a story that said that they were not made in Canada. According to CanadaGoose.com, uh, the Canada Goose jackets, they claim, are made in Canada on their website. So we can clean that up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But there was uh, there was another one. Um, they, do, they, they do have a partnership, just to be clear, because I'm banging on them and I don't want it to be misunderstood, uh, with a conservation organization and also with Polar Bears International. So all jokes aside. 
want to be clear, they are uh, doing things in their own world uh, to contribute back. And no, they don't stuff them with uh, goose gizzards. Also was joking. And if all of, I have to, this is the world we live in because I have to declare those as jokes. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.